And at the end of the day, if you really want change, you have to go to the levels to change the energy to do that. Now, not everybody needs to do psychedelics or 5-MeO-DMT. I can, you can do a reset in cold water. You can do a reset, you know, uh, doing holotropic breath work. But for those out there that are hijacked by their own nervous system and are looking for uh, an alternative, they're looking for hope, this medicine gives them that. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Welcome to today's episode of The Path Podcast, where we're bringing on Tommy Asito. Now, Tommy is a former Navy SEAL who has an incredible, incredible story, his own hero's journey. And he's also someone who specializes in trauma and was a high-level medic. So in this podcast, you're not only going to hear Tommy's background, some of the struggles he's faced physically, mentally, and emotionally, but also hear the value and the place for some of the plant medicine work along the healing journey. Tommy supports people of all walks of life and is doing some incredible work to support veterans in a lot of the struggles that they face day to day. So let's get into the show with Tommy Aceto. What does a normal day look like for you or is it super varied? Yeah. Um, well, right now I'm finishing my last semester uh, for my master's and it's essentially film school, but it's so diverse. It's I basically picked the classes to set me up uh, that will support the work I'm doing in advocacy for healing trauma of the mind. So like on-camera performance, um, <laughs> producing a podcast and editing a documentary or the classes I've taken right now. So that takes a lot of time. Um, the other stuff that I'm constantly juggling it are working um, with the Veteran Mental Health Leadership Coalition, which is um, found. They were founded by Brett Waters, who's an attorney out of Los Angeles that's doing incredible work in DC, uh, and primarily on a bill called the uh, Breakthrough Therapies Act which will remove some of these psychedelic medicines from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2. Um, Brett Waters and General Marty Steele started this coalition a lot, like a year ago with a doctors, you know, subject matter experts in research, you know, legislative writers and veterans. And so we formed this coalition in one year. I think we raised like uh, $14.2 million in five different states from oh. Michigan to Illinois, and we're working in Kentucky with the Ibogaine and the federal level as well. But it's definitely been one hell of a ride just to be a part of watching this. Um, really, it's a, an army of veterans and doctors and people who who can actually shift this thing. Seeing it in motion, it's it, it's taught me so much about our country about. Um, how things get changed. And, you know, it's a lot of work, but the thing is, is it's not really work when you're so passionate about it. And every one of us has such an emotional tie to 
uh, moving the ball forward for mental health that, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's for me, it's like, I feel like I'm on mission. So I'm like, let's roll baby. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's required. I really appreciate that, man. Well, maybe, you know, I know a lot of the discussion that we're going to go into today is exactly that. The work that you're doing, both in connecting people and leading medicine work, and especially for veterans and the effect that's having. And just for some context, the way that me and you got introduced was through my wife, Lauren, who was at an event recently. I'd love for you to lay a little bit of groundwork because you're a former Navy SEAL and, or I don't know if that's the right way to describe it, but at the same time, if you can give a little bit of groundwork because your story, when me and you hopped on the phone the other day, is fascinating. Mm. And so I'd love for you to lay some of the breadcrumbs that'll put some context into who you are and the badassery that is you and also what I'm always most uh, interested in is how that connects to the heart um, and, and your mission. So yeah, lay it out for us, brother, a little bit. I would say... Um... If you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump, the feather that that's been my story. Um, I you know I took my hands off the wheel. Uh, well, I thought I was uh, when I graduated college and realized I wasn't. I just didn't. I didn't want to go to medical school anymore. I thought I was going to be a pediatrician since I was six. I was a two-sport all-state athlete in wrestling and soccer. I ended up winning the state title uh, once as a kid and then my senior year in wrestling. Um, and I think that experience of accomplishing that really opened the doors to my mind, to, to my path of, of what was potential. And there was a special movie that I hold dear to my heart. It's called Vision Quest and Matthew Modine starred in it. And it was about a wrestler who was, he wanted to be a gynecologist in outer space. And he, like his character was so awesome because it was so complex and so like eclectic. And this guy just is a natural athlete. He's got great hips and he, you know, his first year he goes to the state tournament and the second year he's like, I want to wrestle the baddest ass mother scratcher in Washington. And he, he picks <laughs> this guy that's 20 pounds lighter. That's a two time state champion. And his name is shoot. And he's like, I just want to see what I can do against this guy. And so he loses 20 pounds just to wrestle this freak. And the movie is called vision quest because that's essentially what it is. It's a quest and you don't have the reason you don't even have to know the destination. You just, go. And uh, that's kind of been my drive. I never thought I'd be a Navy SEAL and I never thought I would be an advocate for psychedelic medicine, <laughs> but that's just my story. I knew there was something, I didn't really want to go to war. I didn't really want to, you know, kill people. That wasn't what I, that wasn't one of my goals in life. Um, 9-11 happened when I was a sophomore in college and I was playing soccer at the time and, uh, you know, I just got, feel like I got hit in the face, you know, you're, mm. I was 20 years old and, um, looking for identity and knowing, knowing that the two sports that I picked were soccer and wrestling, like didn't have a, there was no MMA back then. And, um, well, there was, but you couldn't make money on it. And it was in a cage and there was no rules, <laughs> but I, I was searching. And when, 
uh, one of my teammates that was a, actually a Huey pilot for the Marines that I played soccer with in college. He said, his name was Jake Olson. He said, uh, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go enlist in the Navy and get my loans paid for and try to get to medical school through USIS, which is the Navy program and, you know, get it paid for because I had no money. And uh, he said, Tommy, if you enlist in the Navy, he's like, you're not going to like it. You don't belong in there. He said, I said, why not? You know, it's, you know, it's Navy. And he's like, you just, you're not the same. You won't fit in. He said, you, you should be a SEAL. And I said, a SEAL. And he said, yeah, you can, you can try. I said, that's crazy. And he said, you're crazy. And I said, you're right. And, and I watched one video because there was nothing you could, you couldn't search for it. Nothing. Like I went to the Discovery Channel store and bought the DVD of class 234. And I watched it and I said, oh shit, that looks horrible. I'm in. That was it. That was like, that was it. And I literally, you know, tried to find a recruiter. Nobody would talk to me. I'm like, this is weird. College degree guy, you know, you know, two sport athlete. Like, no, I couldn't get in. And the army guys were like, oh, we don't have a Navy recruiter here. They're lying, you know? And I'm like, oh, this is going to be crazy. So I drove down to sent downtown Detroit, right across from this famous boxing gym called Kronk's Gym, where Emmanuel Stewart, uh, trained as boxers and, um, you know, Tommy Hearns and Lennox Lewis and these guys. So I'm like the only white guy around and I walk in and they're like, you have a college degree, pre-med and you want to enlist here, take this piss test, you know? And so like, I, I, it was like, I was doing everything backwards. And, um, and the funny part was when I got my first like contract to go into the Navy, they didn't even give me a contract. So technically, when I show up to boot camp, they didn't need to let me try out for the SEAL teams. But luckily, my division officer in boot camp, they show you a hoo video and people that want to try out, there's an opportunity. So that's what I did. And at the time, I had pneumonia. We were living with 80, you know, guys in a room in the middle of winter in Illinois. And so I, you know, I got permission to go try out. I did the run, swim, push-up, pull-up, or it's a, I think it's a swim, push-up, pull-up, sit-up, and then a run. And, um, you know, I passed it fine and uh, got my contract and went to medical or Corman School, graduated four weeks early on an advanced course because I was like, I just graduated college. You know, I, so I talked to the skipper, went around the f- chain of command and he let me, he like pass all, and I got so much shit like for doing this ch- skipping of the chain of command. And um, I got into the earliest buds class, class 252 and uh, went through first time which takes a lot of luck and a lot of genetics and a lot of will and a lot, a lot of stuff just has to add up. You know, it's over 140 tests and you can't just be a good runner or a good swimmer or a good exercise guy. You have to be efficient at all of them. And it's an it's a interesting uh, selection course for sure. So after that, you know, I went on to Special Forces Medic School and graduated top of the class. And when um, then we checked into my SEAL team like three years later after training and training and training and, you know, just barely catching some of the end of the war, really. And in 2007, I think I went over to 
Fallujah and, and Iraq. So in Habania. So that was uh, how I got in. And, you know, I was in, it was like, I just felt like everything in my life was prepared me to be a frogman, like to be on a team, to be in a fraternity, to be, you know, performer, to learn all these awesome, crazy, you know, skill sets from serotipitous uh, lock entry uh, to surveillance to demolition, explosive breaching to aggressive driving to foreign language to just the list goes on and on, you know. And so my my specialties were trauma medic intelligence breaching. You know, I did that 16 years in that line of work. It's not uncommon to have uh, chemical dependencies and uh, to live like with your hair on fire. Now knowing what we know about dopamine setting with people like Dr. Andrew Huberman and um, people like that, like people call it, you know, uh, operator's syndrome, where you're basically spiking up your dopamine through uh, lifestyle and exposure to (laughs) this thing called stress. Um, And it's interesting because one of the doctors I I got to work for and under kind of as the command psychologist for the SEAL teams at the time was Dr. Eric Potterat, who now works for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he was kind of one of the forefronts of cortisol reuptake, which is how well you handle stress. And he studied the SEALs and Wall Street guys in a nutshell. Um, So like my exposure to what I know now, it was all really via divine design and a lot of failure. And after 16 years, I had a, a pretty... Uh, not a uh, favorable exit out of the Navy. I was uh, battling with some mental health issues and uh, checked myself into this clinic in Washington, D.C. called the NICO Clinic. And it's the creme de la creme clinic for brain imaging, PTSD, TBI. Um, you know, I think Obama came in while we were there to check out the, some of the uh, creative art uh, programs for the mind. And, you know, one of the things that I have in my arsenal is as a patient to all these, you know, treatments over the last decades or whatever, you know, as a SEAL, you, you get pampered, you, you get the best treatments available from ganglion blocks to, to this, to that. And, um, you know, you're, you're a guinea pig. And, and I know there's not a day goes by that I'm not aware that the only reason I got exposure to some of these life-saving medicines is because I was a SEAL. And I really um, feel like it's my duty to, you know, get it out there to the grunts and the guys that are suffering. And it's not just a military thing. This idea that PTSD is a a combat thing is, is, is just... It's a it's a thing that we we like to say. Oh, they're messed up. They have a reason to be messed up, but you know they don't. It's like they don't even want to look at people. Don't want to look at their own trauma. And the reality is, we have tools. You know, from microdosing to heroic doses. And not even with the psychedelics, you can do like Dr. Joe Dispenza and do you know holotropic breathwork and meditation, which 
we'll get to that in a second. But um, you know, there's so many tools. But the bottom line is this: any computer system, computer programming that has wear and tear on it needs to be reset and rebuild. A computer doesn't, you know, say, you know what, my program's not working well. Let's just go find a new one. It doesn't. You have the person has to hit the button, right, to do the resetting, and. In our nervous system, I feel like we have a lot of um, micro traumas. Uh, either we've dealt, you know, that came into this world with with the epigenetic, you know, traumas of our parents and their grandparents, or you know, it's just like being in a survival mentality in corporate or any kind of uh, that 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 system. You're gonna get wear and tear. So, you know, what are your options? You can do addictions, you can get addicted to something and distract yourself, or you can become aware of it and reset your nervous system and then learn how to rebuild it by changing your environment. That was fascinating. (laughs) And it's just amazing to hear the depth of background that you have. And even this is way deeper than mine in your conversation the other day before we recorded and what it brings me to, there's a few questions that come up, but the first thing is, you know, I think the distinction that you just made or the clarification is really important to anchor in. And it's this, uh, the topic of trauma and your background as a SEAL and then as a medic, like you've seen um, many, I would imagine, big T traumas. So someone injures, I don't know, something happens to their leg. How do you define the differences in trauma and then potentially how or like how is that uh, to your knowledge, how does the nervous system play a role in that? Hmm, that's an excellent question. If I had to wrap it all up, I'd say that's probably my lane is trauma. Um, and what defining what trauma is and bringing forth the awareness that to the body, you know, we tend to think of things as the physical nature, like medicine is treated in a physical nature, science is in a physical nature, it's touchable, it's tangible. The problem is with the the nervous system, there's a lot of evidence and I would be a strong supporter to say that it's built on energy. And you can call these neurotransmitters, you can call them emotions, you can call them whatever you want, but essentially there's an energy there. That's I think it's tied into the life force. But that's a lot of Eastern thinking. Um, But I think that trauma is any instance, can be physical, it can be uh, energetic, which is moral injury or spiritual wound, whatever you want to call it. The, the, The energy of the experience causes a alteration in the nervous system to prevent that feeling from ever happening again. So you have to look at, you know, trauma as it's a link to an experience and that experience is linked to a feeling and those feelings are the human vessels of energy. And so if I have, if somebody is raped or um, went through a nasty divorce or had any sort of experience that causes these these changes in the nervous system and when left unchecked, then 
we start to compensate for the changes in the nervous system, which is the changes in dopamine, the changes in cortisol, and the changes in, in all these other neurochemicals. And, and so the funny thing is about the 12 cranial nerve is, you know, you can be reminded about a trauma without even knowing it because you might happen to hear a song or you might happen to smell a perfume or you might happen to... And so all these things are linked and, you know, there's so many ways to do this. But again, when people are committing suicide at epidemic rates, when people are addicted to uh, uh, opioid um, painkillers, alcohol, pornography, um, if people are, you know, these all these problems we see in society, um, you know, if you haven't found success at the standard of care that you're receiving, there's options to reset the nervous system with proper education and coaching and integration is the biggest animal in the room. Um, then, you know, like Dr. Joe says, you, you have to change your energy to change your reality. And that change is what everybody's after. But when the road, when the rubber hits the road and you say, how much do you want to change? There's hesitation. And this is where the awareness that the mind is a program and it doesn't reset itself. And it might even try to convince you to not reset the system. You know, it's very, it gets really in the weeds. Um, and ultimately, like I said before, we have the tools, we have the data to support it. We have the research to support it. It's whether or not the government is going to get paid for, you know, that's what it comes down to. And that's kind of the work we're doing at the coalition is just figuring out who the champions are at that level, willing to support these. And these aren't even advancements in mental health anymore. These are, these are human rights. Because if, uh, if a medicine that God made for us to heal our minds is kept in a box and labeled no medicinal value by President Nixon and the CIA, that's a human rights issue. And, and you think about how this could go play out, it's pretty massive in, in scale. So I don't even know if I answered your question about trauma, but that's, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, you said something I think that's really important, which is oftentimes when it comes to change, there's a resistance to change. Mm. And there's familiar patterns. And oftentimes, like, change is scary. Change means we're, we're, we're trying something new and we're potentially uncertain of the outcome. There's, there's a level of trust or a faith or whatever it is. And what I imagine, I'd love to hear your personal experience with this, with a lot of specifically veterans for right now, speaking of them. Well, one, what is the work like specifically that you're doing? Because I know you do work with a whole series of medicines and mm. I'd love to hear some context around that. But then also, how has this been met and what has been, like, what has worked maybe best in uh, supporting these men and stepping into mm. some of this work? So five years ago, when I got out, I, um, I was in a bad place. Uh, in 10 days, I had an approved medical retirement that was stripped from me, uh, an ex-wife that used 
her connections, uh, high ranking individuals, uh, basically stripped me of my kids with a fraudulent restraining order. And um, in 10 days, I was stripped of all my identity, my trident, everything I did. I had a, you know, they gave me honorable discharge, which is hilarious because I admitted to using, well, actually, I told my ex-wife that I was using medical marijuana um, at the time while I was in the Navy. And it was because I was taking all these SSRIs and, and something inside of me just was like, this shit is not working. And I, I can feel it. And I had way more suicidal ideations and I, we were losing friends, you know, and, and I stopped drinking and I stopped doing pills. And so I, you know, I was heavy in my faith and, and I, and I was just like, you know, someone brought up, you know, this method and I, was like, all right, so you know, we had plans to get her away from the urinalysis, you know, testing. We we you know, we we're smart dudes. I went to a, a biblical PTSD retreat called Mighty Oaks by Chad Robichaud, who's an incredible story of of just overcoming adversity. He started this Christian based PTSD thing, and I, I went to it and I quit smoking that there and I I hadn't smoked for like two weeks and when my when I told my ex-wife uh she told the command and told me that she told the command and so I didn't know what to do and I called my command and said hey look she already told this so they know and so they're like come in and take a piss test I came in I pissed negative and I I you know told them why I was doing it and it was just so weird. They're like, why the hell would you admit this after 16 years and you have a medical retirement already in process? I was like, I didn't. I was like, my wife, my ex-wife did. I was like, I, you know, I wouldn't have said this. I, I was months away from getting released. And, uh, and so it turned everything into a, just a show, a shit show. Um, I was put, I was stripped of all my clearances, stripped of my trident, uh, I was treated like a janitor. I had to get escorts to go into rooms. It was like, it was a joke. And uh, I was like, you know what? My will is stronger than yours because I'm fighting for my retirement for my kids. So bring it. And I fought the whole, I fought this, you know, it's like when you're on the other side of all the pit bulls, you're like, oh shit, this is, those are my kind, but I know how they fight. So I held, I held it out for like a year and a half and then she went to the command and said that I was going to hurt her and hurt the kids. And she made up these just really bad, horrible lies. And um, the skipper called me in and they brought in a sheriff. They served me a papers and the, guy, the skipper looks at me and goes, I think you need to get a lawyer. And I'm like, I thought I was fighting for my wife and kids, you know, like, so that I just got both sides, lost everything. It's 10 days, uh, I had to redo all my... VA appointments and and all my disability, which I got because of my uh, honorable discharge. But I got stripped from my retirement, and that cost me a lot of money. Um, you know, stripped from my clearances. I couldn't own a gun anymore. I was working executive protection. Uh, that was stripped for me. Um, and the my the last time I saw my four kids that I raised was on Father's Day, two thousand nineteen. And that was the last time that I had a word about them. Not even about, I haven't even had a word about them. Still to this day. 
to this day. And and you know, like I've looked at the situation. I'm I'm one of millions, and there's a lot of women on the same. You know, it's not just fathers that this is happening to. This is whoever isn't in the right position um, with the court system. And unfortunately, the courts in California, in most states, they're going to favor because it all comes down to family courts. All about the safety of the kids. So the fear tactics get involved and it's just, it's really bad. There's a lot of broken homes right now, not just because there's deadbeat dads or deadbeat moms. It's just because one parent wants to fight and hurt the other person emotionally and the kids lose and the trauma gets sustained. You know, you're just repeating it. And so that's been my journey. But because of that conflict and heartache, I got to understand the mind. Mm. You know, I got to use my trauma, my pain as fuel and to to learn this concept of letting go, which is, um, I think the wisest fighters in the world understand that fighting is not always going forward, that fighting has periods of allowing and surrendering actually and going to your back or um you know like these 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 metaphors that you can use in the tactical seal world or uh land warfare and and uh, and tactics uh when you're operating out there and and you're getting shot at you know if i look around and i see high ground to the left i'm going to yell out to my guys strong left and that doesn't mean go forward. It actually means to reconsolidate, seek shelter or cover and lick your wounds and come up with a better strategy. I have been in a stronghold for four years, five years, and I have a lot stronger and I'm a lot wiser. And, you know, God used all that for what I'm doing. It's, it's what you do with it. And that's, you know, well, one, I'm very grateful that you shared that. And two, it's like oftentimes we hear sometimes the most powerful healer is the wounded healer or someone who has gone through their own, you know, dark night of the soul or in many different ways. And so one, mm-hmm. I think it allows all of us, because we all have different versions of either big T or little T traumas, but if we can look and give ourselves the time, the space and the energy to be with that and process it and recognize that, um, this is a part of our path. And so to see the work that you are doing now from the place that you're doing it from, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, brother. So thank you. Thank you Mm -hmm. for that. When did some of the plant medicines start arising on the either, not necessarily the scene for you, but how did that come in? And maybe if you can describe a little bit of your early experiences, because it's one thing to develop like I think the more that you work with them and you understand them, especially when it's held right and there's integration, it's like you never know exactly what you're going to get into because it's opening up that unconscious and that subconscious. But you, at least through my experience, you start to learn how to work with them. But in the beginning, when it's so new and so different, can you share a little bit about that early days into it and what did you notice and experience? Man, so 2019... Uh, I got contact. I went through buds with a guy who started Seal Future Foundation. He recently left the organization, but um, he 
his name is Johnny Wilson and I, he knew what I was going on with me. And he said, Tommy, you need to go do the psychedelic program. And I'm like, you guys are doing drugs. And you didn't tell me about it. You know, like, I wanted it. <laughs> and you know, and uh, he's like, no, it ain't like that. And, um, he's like, it's a lot of work. And, uh, it, it's not like that. And so I didn't know anything about 5-MeO-DMT uh, or Ibogaine. I, I did psilocybin once or twice in college and it was a great experience, but it wasn't like, you know, I didn't think of it as a medicine or anything. Um, <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, again, I was in so much pain and the courts went through and like reality set in that I was now at my rock bottom and there was... There were some options for change, permanent change, you know, ending it all change. I think whether it's God's spirit inside me or, you know, my just resiliency, I never, uh, I don't think I could ever do it. I don't know. Maybe I, you know, I didn't want to find out. I just put it that way. I was in the alarm mode was going off. And uh, at that time, it's amazing how they say in this work that, the medicine will tell you when it's ready. And it found me, Dr. Martin Polanco, uh, who runs the Mission Within, who's the subject matter expert when it comes to treating veterans with Ibogaine and 5-MeO. He's the one that designed that protocol. I was just getting out of the Navy. And so they were like, we don't really want to treat you while you're in. And they did agree to it, but they were aware of the situation. So... This Vietnam Navy SEAL, uh, he's also a medicine man and he's incredible. He blindfolded me in his car and drove me to this mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, California. And I'm like kind of laughing, you know, like this, I, I know this trick. But um, so we got there and there was this M MD, he's got long hair, oh, and he's got shit. no shirt on. And I'm like, Jesus, Jesus is here. And um, his <laughs> wife was a healer and it takes a special person to be that vulnerable, you know? So um, maybe that's why it works with our, our community. But I go there and, you know, they walk me through it and I never in a million years experienced anything like that where it shot me to on a rocket ship you know bufo it comes from a the desert toad that you know they milk these acidic jew dreidel looking um sacks and you know it's got this compound called 5meo dmt in it which is a cousin to what we make in our brain and um and i fought it like i fought it with every bit of fight I had in my body. And it showed me looking back that that's your nervous system. That's the layers that it's, it's not going to budge. And eventually what happens stereotypically is it's going to throw your personal own worst fear at you, which is some sort of fear of death in your personal way, because it's your mind that it's telling you to stop. It doesn't want you to hit the reset. And so after three doses, you know, you kind of stair step up and you kind of coach. Well, we coach a lot different now, but they just said, if you need more, sit up and ask for more. So I did that three times. And at the final time, I was so tired that I said to myself, you know, I, I thought in my mind, like this is where the 
going a little crazy. I felt like I was like, they had into, like the CIA or whoever was like, this guy is damaged goods and we need to, you know. So I thought in my mind, like this was actually happening. And I was like, you know what? If this is it. Then this is it. Like I'm ready. And I just surrendered. And when I did that, it was like, whack. And I shot through, saw the glow, saw these like little souls. And, and I was like, it's love. And then I was like, holy crap. What? Like that was like the first wake up call. It lasted, the effects of that treatment lasted for weeks, months after where I, I got a reset. And there was like nothing I ever felt from any kind of, any kind of prescribed medicine. It wasn't like I was going out doing this, you know, every weekend because it's so much work to break through. I was actually terrified of it. Six months later, I uh, went down to Mexico to do the full treatment of Ibogaine day off, 5-MeO-DMT. And Martine's like, I'm like, I'm good. I did that. I'm good. Like, I survived my, you know, Ibogaine. I don't need that. You know, and he's like, are you done doing the work? And I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) So this time was different because I surrendered. I knew what I did last time and I learned the medicine actually teaches you. And so I, you know, I, I said a prayer. I had my little rosary in my pocket and um, I, uh, it was so weird because the day before two of my roommates from Buds that my original classmates that we, we went through the training together. And so out of 289 that started our class, we, we were three out of the 15. And I thought they came to see me and support me. And they're like, we didn't even know you were here. Like, you arrogant son of a bitch. <laughs> you know? like, I was like, oh. They're like, but we would like to, maybe if you're willing, we'd like to hold space for you when you do your five, you know? And I was like, yeah. So I told them to come. And, you know, that was the one experience that has changed my life more than anything. Because when I... Walked into that room. There was two ladies that were the healers, one older lady and one younger Latina. And it was almost like Mary and Mary Magdalene. And I had my friends in the background and right behind my head. And I hit this, the toad and I, I only needed one hit, I think, maybe two, but I like went right out and I surrendered and I shot onto, into the body of Christ and I felt the sin and the weight and the shame and all the pain and suffering. And I did not want to like move a muscle because I didn't want to react to the medicine. I just wanted to surrender and go lucid. And so like, I was like drooling out of my mouth. These ladies are holding my hands. And at this one moment, I remember I, I just surrendered and said like, I just kind of like, I guess, reenacted like the Christ thing. And I, and at that moment of surrender, it was when I felt another whack and this light like hit my chest and raised me up. And my friends started like crying. My seal buddies were like crying and the girls were crying. And, and I had this tear and I wouldn't move. Like I just had this, it was like stayed right here. And the lady the older lady, uh, that one of the shamans, she was like, I could smell blood or I could smell fear pouring out of your mouth. And that tear smelled like blood. And I was like, whoa. I was like, wow. And you know, that moment 
was so powerful, so vivid, so profound that um, I know now that's the kind of experience that no medicine, no treatment can ever touch because when you experience something, it tricks the body to thinking it's real. And at the end of the day, if you really want change, you have to go to the levels to change the energy to do that. Now, not everybody needs to do psychedelics or 5-MeO-DMT. I can, you can do a reset in cold water. You can do a reset, you know, uh, doing holotropic breath work. But for those out there that are hijacked by their own nervous system and are looking for uh, an alternative, they're looking for hope, this medicine gives them that. You know, it does. And the, but going back to your original question, it has to be set up the right way. That's why intention is so important in this, in this practice. You have to use it with intention. You have to set up your scene and setting. You have to have, you know, good energy around you and the right people. And so the reality is we have something that can change the way we look at mental health and, and medicine in general. And we have the people like, why can't we give these tools to the people that are already there in the, doing these jobs? Like, you know, I, I work with some incredible minds because of what I'm doing. And one of the guys who ran that NICO clinic that I was telling you about with all the in DC with the three weeks of 129 appointments and all these integration, um, Things. He ran that clinic called the NICO. His name was Bob, Dr. Bob Kaufman. He was a top, he was the top naval special warfare psychiatrist, which, you know, he's briefing, you know, SOCOM, all these generals, admirals. For 31 years, he was fighting the war within the war of mental health for our service members, beating his head against the wall, getting lied to by these commanding officers. And he went down to the mission within. He watched five of his clients or his patients. Three of them were SEAL Team 6. They were all over 20 years experience, two Delta Force operators. I mean, those five individuals had so much, you know, wear and tear on them and seen so much at the highest levels uh, in leadership and everything. And he watched the medicine heal those guys in one night and he wept and he said, it was so hard to accept that for 40 years he was, they were doing it wrong. And he resigned. He gave up being, becoming an admiral so that he could take on this work with the few years he had left of his life because he think he was fighting cancer and um, he was in his 70s. But he's around today and he was one of the two clinicians at Sunstone Therapy in, in DC, or right outside of DC, uh, that was able to treat MDMA expanded excess. But the problem is he has to put a lottery for the 50 individuals who fortunately get the treatment and 4,000 applicants don't get it. And so, you know, this is where we're at right now. Fortunately, MDMA is probably going to be the next drug to get legalized in the next year, you know, but who gets to use this treatment? Cause they're going to mark it up over a thousand percent. He gets charged 11 grand for one pill, which costs $11 no on the black market. Yeah. So, 
you know, this is the, these are the issues that we're going to face going forward. But if this is a process and it's not a perfect process, we used to call it acceptable sight picture in the shooting world. You're not trying to keyhole it. This is not, you know, this is real life. Um, but ultimately it comes down to awareness because more people are getting aware that they don't need to go through the system to heal their mind, their body. There's ways to do this organically, naturally, and uh, you know, without a lot of bills. It's just hard because people don't have the lanes to do it. People will hear this podcast and contact me, and I'll try to point them to the right directions. But at the end of the day, it's it's um, people still have to find a way to get in contact with this medicine, and it's just part of the game. Yeah at least as it stands right now and maybe for some longer, but through the work that you're doing and other people out mm. there for sure. And, you know, you said something earlier about it's super important to have an intention going in, whether it's with this work or any type of work where you get to meet those parts of yourself that you're, there's some deep rooted fear around or it's stretching you in a position or it's a rite of passage or an initiation experience can you share briefly just for whether it's medicine work or even other work, breath work, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but someone's coming to it with the intention to heal and to change and to uh, transmute some challenge or some trauma, whatever we want to say, what goes into how you share the role of intention and maybe any insights mm-hmm. into someone that they can utilize for any type of healing work to set themselves up to enter it with a little bit more sacredness, let's just say. Yeah, no, it's a great word. Well, if the mind is programmable, then our intention is the keystrokes that we, we type into that program. When we give the medicine reverence, if we treat it like a sacrament, if we hold it in this space, what happens is in the mind, it starts to believe that it's that thing. So that's the programming. So people, <laughs> there's a documentary that my friend just made. His name is Mike Smith. It's a very controversial documentary, but he made it with a bunch of intelligence officers that um, work for General Flynn and you know, former President Trump and stuff like that. But the movie is called Into the Light, that movie. And if you go to his website, you can see what I'm talking about, about um, this fifth generation warfare, uh, this psyops, right? Things are being done to people unwillingly, whether it's the cell phone or the marketing or the control of the narrative, the the pills we've been pushed, the, whatever it is, there is a fifth generation of war that's happening right now and it's to your mind. And so programming is happening all the time. So it's like, well, if you're aware of that, then you should be aware. You need to do the programming yourself. If you want to change your life, you're the one that is the programmer. Don't let your pain, your past trauma or society program you because the reality is it's going to. But the more aware you are, the more intentional you are, the more you can get the reins of your life back. And when we come into these ceremonies, the intention, we have them write out their intentions. Why? Because they're bringing awareness to it. Awareness is the start of all intelligence. When you have awareness, it means you're in, you're in tuned or you're, you're aware, you're educated. That's intelligence. 
right? And so those all these things are linked together. But the reality is, if you keep your intention, if you want to smoke a bowl of THC, why don't you just hold it up and pray over it for a second? And, and, and close your eyes and, and breathe and use it like the Native Americans used it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. The, you know, people forget that when we brought up, it was the war on drugs and there was this shamefulness to associate yourself with these molecules. Um, it's because the intention was off. It's all it is. It's the intention. So when you hold it with the intention, it becomes a medicine. You can turn a drug into medicine. Now, not all drugs are good medicine. We know this now. But all medicines are drugs, whether it's the oxygen we breathe in or the serotonin that we're trying to get or the dopamine that we're trying to get. The biggest drugs are our mind. And we can create an internal pharmacy, as Dr. Joe Dispenza says, with changing your energy. And there's methods to do that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing that. That's so important, dude. So, so, so important. Now, what are some of the either, you know, one or two things that you can share with what you're seeing with veterans now? You know, obviously mm -hmm. other than yourself, but like, how are people receiving this work? What are some of the changes that they're experiencing? Um, yeah, what's the landscape looking like for people mm -hmm. that are actually uh, courageous enough and aware enough that this even exists and stepping into this? One of the most amazing things I've noticed in this space is when you heal someone's mind, there is a a feeling, a perspective that wants to be shared with other human beings. So one of the things that, and one of the integration tools is now that you've got this blessing and this reset, you know, how are you going to help others? And we know this, that the biggest source of dopamine is helping another human being get set free. It's, it's, it's in our DNA if you, why do people look at car accidents? Why do people, you know, look at this? Because there's a connectiveness to humanity, whether we want to believe it or not. And, and that allows, like, that's what's so cool is these veterans are helping. They're like, they become, it's like the ultimate form of recruiting. You, they become, they become like another workhorse in this movement. And so we're literally building this army and this Navy and this, this warrior tribe that's pushing a lot of this forward because of the gratitude that they have because of their own healing. And so now we look at gratitude as a force multiplier because when I am in gratitude, I feel good and I want others to feel that energy. And so we're, we're creating these warriors by doing this and, um, you know, in five years, I, I, I knew this was coming five years ago when I did this, I, I knew, but now that it's here, it's like, I was like in a catching a wave. And before I was like, there's the wave it's coming. 
And now I can't even, I'm not looking back. I am like, I am like this right now <laughs> because, because it's, it's there, it's here. And, and it's like, I want to just, I just want to, I'm selfish. I got Tom's disease. I'm terrified of missing something. I want to see this thing and I want to have the best seat in the house. <laughs> Very cool, man. Man, there's so many, um, we're going to have, with your permission, we're going to have multiple conversations uh, to dig into not only this stuff even more, but also you and I have a very deep appreciation for strength and conditioning. And uh, yeah, there's many ways our conversations can go. But brother, I just thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And uh, I've learned so much today, big time. So thank you. And I'm excited to share this with with my community and my tribe and to really bring... Uh, this work, especially done in the way that you're saying with, with gratitude, with sacredness, with intention, with connecting with the right people, with the integration and how we're going to move ourselves and integrate and uh, just move more from the heart. Yep. It's all about feeling. We need to learn how to feel again. Absolutely. And, and that's the organ that does the feeling. It's not this. It's, it's this. Mm-hmm. Um, I do looking forward to that conversation about movement because that's my other passion is, you know, kinesiology and, and movement. And it's funny how part of using this medicine and pushing these neurotransmitters around through movement. And in my case, after 16 years as a SEAL, four years as a college athlete and the long time of as a wrestler, and I'm a bigger guy, it's like, I, if I don't do my movement, if I don't have my practice, I'm not a pleasant person to be around and, and I feel like crap. So movement is, is another humongous part of, of this healing journey. So I look forward to that and I, I appreciate uh, allowing me this chance to share my testimony. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. I'll give a, a very small side note. Uh, I brought a few groups down to Costa Rica at, um, uh, Shipibo tradition, but, uh, it's an ayahuasca center and I didn't have anything to do with the medicine. That's not my, you know, that's not my zone. However, uh, because it was groups that we brought down, I was able to teach movement in along with that because so much of the work is just, as you know, laying down, it's dark, maybe there's some candles, but to integrate through movement and support with opening, stretching, myofascials, active meditation, and like really bringing the body in these spaces in between ceremonies. So yeah, I'm stoked for that. And uh, as we close off, brothers, any closing thought or anything that you'd love to, to leave people with, um, that would be great. Hmm. Um, I would just say, uh, with everything going on in the world, you know, it's important to do this thing where you don't get sucked in and you, you start to develop, uh, a technique to reset. And it's real simple. You just go in nature and you find some stillness and that's hard it's actually hard to do that. But once you do it and you get the experience and you step in, and the most important thing is to be aware of the resistance, to be aware of it. And when you're aware of it, that's the first sign that you're doing it right. And then just keep going into that resistance. And the more you do that, the more you feel the stronger you'll become and the better energy you'll be for not only you, but for your everyone around you. And then you become the medicine. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. 
Thank <laughs> you, Tommy. Thank you, bro. Uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out on anything that we discussed? Where would be the best place that people can get in contact with you? Uh, right now, it's Instagram. I'm working on some projects. Uh, working on a podcast myself, so I might have to have you on on mine next. Um, but uh, right now, it's Instagram. Um, uh, a lot of the, uh, the the work I'm doing is highlighted in YouTube with the Veteran Mental Health Leadership Coalition. You can find a lot of our hearing, our public hearings and testimonies on YouTube. Heroic Hearts. Um, these are kind of the uh, no fallen heroes. These are the guys in the veteran space uh, and vet solutions. These are the these are the people that are kind of leading the way. Uh, if you're looking for more information on that um, on that part of the of the modalities. Well, beautiful brother. Well, thank you again, and uh, wish you a fantastic day, brother. Thank you again for being on. Hey, thank you. Have a blessed one. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path, and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.